Have you ever stopped to think that virtually everything we use in our daily lives is based on technology? Even further, do you understand the software behind this technology? Welcome to The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. In today's program, you'll hear how software is created and implemented, why it's written the way it is, and learn from its success stories, proven best practices, and significant failures. Now, here is your host, Martin Lacey. Welcome to The Art of Software. Today in, in our show, we're going to talk about ethics and software. Um, we're, we're going to explore uh, what it is, what ethics really means to software and what software practitioners should be thinking about uh, in terms of ethics when they build their software. Um, we're going to look at the responsibilities applied uh, and implied to those that create applications um, that are now starting to have a major impact on our lives as we've seen in recent news um, uh, uh, you know things that are happening with Facebook and other uh, large um, social uh, applications um, we'll look at the tools and techniques used by ethical hackers to uncover the weaknesses and expose access points attack vectors to your business sensitive data we'll also uh, come to understand their role and the mindset needed to find gaps in your enterprise We'll also dig into the development practices uh, by, by software practitioners and the methods that they use uh, to build software and what's going on in terms of securing the infrastructure and making sure that uh, software is of high quality, not only in terms of its robustness, but in terms of its um, uh, ability to be secure, perceived as secure and safe. Uh, helping me explore these uh, this very interesting and um, dynamic topic, uh, we've got two two fellows uh, from uh, either side of of the uh, well, uh, either side of the hacking or the software protection view. Um, we've got uh, uh, Jivan Singh, who's a senior information security officer. Uh, architect at a software as a service company where he helps build out their information security architecture um, as well as uh, um, uh, you know having a passion for 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 security and how to make sure that software is built properly so he actually is involved in training and helping develop uh, staff with the latest and best practices to ensure against security vulnerabilities make sure the software is defensive He's also responsible for the architecture, uh, security architecture solutions within the development teams and help them reduce uh, their vulnerabilities. Um, and before that, he was uh, you know, in a leadership position in, in um, software development uh, systems. Um, on the other side of the fence, we have Steve Bryant, who's an experienced fraud management specialist. Uh, so, and he heads up the, uh, the head of operations for Canadian ethical hackers. So he's coming at it from the hacking side of things today, whereas Jivan's coming from it from the, um, the software development practice side of things. Steve uh, ha has um, been in software development as well. Uh, he started off uh, as head of operations for Polar Web Design. Uh, in subsequent uh, parts of his life, he's been as well uh, uh, the operations director for, for Tucon Gaming, uh, where he also provided fraud management. He's also involved in uh, helping a youth under, uh, understand security and security implications with software. Um, that was quite a large uh, introduction for you two both. Uh, welcome to the show. 
And thank you for having us. Well, thank um, you very much. I must say thank you very much this morning for having us. Excellent, excellent, fellas. I'm, I'm so glad to, that you're on board and uh, uh, here to talk about these, this very interesting topic. Um, and I'd, I'd like to start off, well, before we get into digging into this topic, perhaps if we can go uh, one at a time, um, Stephen, perhaps you can go first and talk a bit about your experience with ethics and software and uh, what you're involved in today without getting into uh, crossing, you know, uh, integrity lines, or uh, not integrity lines, but uh, without having to mention customers and those kind of things. Okay, um, thank you very much. With uh, respect to ethics, there are various degrees of ethics, and uh, the definition of ethics is different for everyone. Um, in high school debating, uh, there was a joke that was thrown out where some people's definition of morals and scruples was moral was a nice painting you found on a wall, and scruples was the money they used in Russia. So depending <laughs> yeah. on, 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 on what your perspective of ethics were, um, you know, this is how this is how it defines how you act. And so with the wide range of ethics um, and, uh, you know, definition of ethics, uh, what one person might find ethical, someone else might find unethical, as we found with Facebook. Uh, so for me, uh, an ethical standard uh, came in form of gaming, online gaming, as uh, I used to own a, and operate an online casino, and that's where some of my fraud management basis began. Right. But with respect to gaming... If you divulge the information about gamblers, who's losing, or very unlikely, who's winning, and, and the gamblers find out about that, you're finished. So in that case, the ethics that you have, the ethical standard that you have, is imposed upon you by a risk of financial loss. Right. And so, as I said, it, you know, there's a wide range of, of what the definition is, and then how those ethical standards implemented into you come to be. Some, some can be beaten into you as a kid, uh, enforced. Uh, and, and so there are various degrees of, of ethical standards that are implemented uh, for various reasons. And for me, uh, online gaming definitely taught me a very valuable lesson about if, any, if everyone knows your business, you'll soon be out of business. And so for us at Canadian Ethical Hackers, maintaining the, the privacy and confidentiality of our methods and our clients is as of utmost concern. Uh, but, but working within that context, I'm, I'm happy to speak with you today. So uh, to answer your question, uh, it's, it's about a moral standard that was implemented in me uh, growing up, playing sports, uh, doing the things that I've done, uh, attending a, an all-boys college. There was a goodness, discipline, and knowledge that was implemented into us as well. And so it continues on. And it's, it's, everyone gets to that point of what they determine and everyone else considers ethical in various different, dif different methods uh, and then that's implemented over various different experiences for them. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that as well. Um, ethics seems to be, uh, or it, it is a learned behavior and then an, it becomes an enforced behavior. There's a characteristic aspect to it. Um, if we just can jump over to Jivan Sani, uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you come to uh, be exposed or entangled with this ethics issue? Um, so I, I like to think of it going back to my university days. Uh, we all have a friend that uh, doesn't like going to classes. So one day I went over and I picked him up uh, 
I was going to pick him up to go to university. And he's like, Jeevan, come in. Uh, so I went in and he showed me that he had cracked uh, a third of the uh, department's uh, professors and students' uh, usernames and passwords. Oh. It was it, amazing. I, 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 it's a nice I, challenge. Yeah, it was a nice challenge. Uh, I've never been exposed to anything like that. And it, uh, it sort of sparked something uh, in my mind. I'm like, um, this is very cool. He didn't do anything with it. It was just more of a challenge, and challenge for it, for him. But uh, it, it sparked something in, in my mind. And throughout my career, um, working for an e-commerce company, um, very early 2000s, um, the sophistication of the attackers wasn't there yet. But sometimes you just see things in your logs, uh, things in your, like in your pages that just didn't make quite sense. And then doing more development, uh, working for a software company, just being more exposed to uh, certain practices. And um, you touched upon uh, on the financial aspect of it. And uh, another aspect of the financial side is uh, the various regulations there are, be it HIPAA or GDPR. Sometimes you're bound to um, doing the right thing because of uh, regulations. Yeah, it, it seems to be, you know, um, uh, ethics is something that we're, we're taught from a, a familiar uh, foundation, um, a fami familial foundation in your family uh, when you start off. And, of course, that's the, that's the basis of it. And, uh, you know, through schooling, you get more exposure to uh, ethical challenges. Uh, so it's not really ethical training, it's ethical challenges, things that make you go, hmm, you know, should I turn left or should I turn right? What's the right way to go? Uh, you know, uh, Jivan, when you're watching your friend um, be able to uh, stand up to the challenge and find out everyone's passwords, or not everyone's, a third, um, uh, and being able to get out their accounts that, you know, there's, from a an achievement point of view, from a software guy's point of view, that's like, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. You managed to figure something out, solving a problem. But then there's the ethical side of it going, well, you know, was that a problem that needed to be solved or did you just sort of do something that was unethical? So, yeah, you absolutely. Know, and, and it's kind of interesting how you kind of came to that, Jivan, with, uh, with that you know, exposure. It's kind of like in your face, right? <laughs> He's a great friend, and I would never have done it myself. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I have to be honest. It's something that I would have done in my youth um, just because it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, Stephen, uh, do, you, do you end up having to do these kind of things as part of your business practice? Well, all the time. And Yvonne, he put you, your friend put you in a really good position because it forced you to make an ethical decision right then and there. Right. What, yeah, what do I do with this? Yeah, it was kind and, of a, a great... sorry, go ahead. Sorry, please go ahead. Yeah. It was kind of like an, an eye opener moment, right? It's sort of like, Oh, hold on. There's an ethics line here. And, you know, just to be able to say, Oh, there's, there's something here that, you know, we need to even think about, you know, have we done something that we, we shouldn't be doing? Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's really the, the crux of the ethics 
issue. Um, and I think we we'll, we're going to explore this a bit further uh, in our next segment. We're going to start talking about the tools that we use um, to break into systems and to test their vulnerabilities um, and what that's like to, to actually do that. So you're riding on the edge of ethics, um, but you're doing it for a good cause, so it makes it palatable. So with that in mind, <laughs> with that in mind, we'll uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back shortly. Thanks very much, guys. You're listening to uh, Martin Lacey in the Art of Software. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Private equity firms have over $1 trillion to invest. They are the biggest funding source for growing companies. Why do they reject 98% of deals? How do you get the right deal for your company? Join Kevin Fechtmeyer and his partners on the Deal Team 6 to uncover the next winning deal and avoid the financial landmines. Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code, is broadcast live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America business channel how is your business running it should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup like a finely tuned machine but if you're like most businesses yours may be running nowhere close to that Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacy at lacytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey from Lacey Technology. We're speaking today with Stephen Bryant, who's the head of operations of Canadian Ethical Hackers, and Jeevan Sani, who's a senior information security architect at a local software as a service organization. Um, we're talking about ethics and software, and uh, we've just been bantering a little bit about uh, different perspectives on, on ethics. And there's a, a third that I want to introduce as well. Um, it's the legal opinion. And I've had an opportunity to converse or uh, to communicate with the uh, director of ethics uh, or a director uh, at, uh, at the Ethics Center in Silicon Valley, Irina Raku. 
um, and she's written a number of papers and and have has uh, provided those access to those to me, and I've had a chance to read through them. And the the crux of the 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 legal opinion is this: uh, you often hear the adage that law can't keep up with technology. What about ethics? Ethics, too, is deliberative, and new norms take time to develop. But an ideal ethical analysis of a new development or practice can happen fairly quickly. Many technologists, however, are not encouraged to conduct that analysis, even superficially. They do not even, uh, they're not even taught to spot an ethical issue. I kind of disagree with that, but, you know, I think that's more of a social upbringing kind of thing. And uh, some, uh, though certainly not all, seem surprised when backlashes ensue against some of their creations. Look what's happening with Facebook. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to add letting here and there. Um, If technology can mold us and technologists are the ones who shape that technology, we should demand some level of ethic training for our technologists. And that training should not be limited to university context. An ethics training component should be included in the curriculum of any developer boot camp and maybe maybe the onboarding process when tech companies hire new employees. So the crux of her question was, are the creators of code aware of this power and their responsibilities to go with it? How and to what extent are they trained in the ethics of their discipline? Now, that's a kind of a really broad question, and as we you know, dive into the ethics of software, and as software is permeating business everywhere, and businesses are using software to gain a competitive advantage, you know, ultimately, and I, now I'm coming to my opinion as a software architect, it, to me, it strikes as, um, well, we've got the legal side of it that, that is really the, the stick, so that's the punishment side of it, uh, making sure that you uh, have some moral compass, you ha- apply some ethics to what you do. Um, software developers, uh, software architects, the people that build the systems that enable businesses to achieve the things that they want to achieve um, are instrumental, but they are driven by an idea and a concept that supersedes the development effort itself. That's my opinion. So it's to me, it's a responsibility of business um, and, of course, the practitioners in business and how they direct their teams, whether they be software developers, architects, analysts, marketing professionals. It's the whole enchilada. Um, you know, and taking those additional um, thoughts in mind, uh, Let's take it back to the white hat hacker. Uh, so, Stephen, what's your what's your take on that? When you, you know, when you hear about it from my perspective and the legal perspective, and you know, it does does that make more sense, or does it make sense? Well, I have a hard time accepting education on, you know, legal or on uh, moral compass issues from the legal profession. First, of right. Um. You know, I think it's fair to to the discourse that we define ethics. To, just to interrupt, we'll come right straight back. And the definition from Oxford English is moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. And right. so when and so you understand now my point of of having a hard time accepting from the legal profession 
edification on 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 morality. Um, and, and, <laughs> yeah, there's, and there's that's a lot my, of that's my opinion of it. I must say, <laughs> that's my opinion of it. Uh, but with great knowledge comes great. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. And as the progression goes from knowledge to power to responsibility, um, you know, I asked this question at the beginning to my fraud manager, uh, who is more like a, a guru to me. And I said to him, how ethical do we have to be? And his response to me was, well, we have to be as ethical as the black hat hackers are unscrupulous. Right. And I, it made sense to me when there's a, a range of what you have to do. And, and when we, when, when we, for instance, when we get a client or a prospective client, uh, the first thing we do is we ask for a client list of their competitors. We don't want to be in a position where it can be said that we took information that we learned from client A and gave it or manipulated it for client B's benefit or demise. And so by eliminating a, a wide range of potential clients, by eliminating competitors, we eliminate that ability for them to come back and say, now that comes at expense of market share, but we find it ethical to do that. The second thing we do is we go and analyze the company that's seeking to use our services. We don't want to be in bed with someone who's completely unethical. If right. An ethical institution that has maybe a bad seed or, or a series of bad practices that's being exploited, then we're there for you. If, if, if you're as, as dishonest as can be, then we're definitely not. Um, that's so that, a, that's a, that must be a really tricky line to try and formulate, or or is it really obvious? Well, it, it's sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Uh, but you save yourself a lot of grief and uh, a lot of tears by by taking the necessary steps to ensure the people that you're dealing with have uh, an ethical standard by, in which they govern themselves. Excellent. Um, so w when you're Working with a client, um, do you tell them the tools that you're using, or what? How do you approach it with um, with your tool chest of, uh, of forensic uh, analyses? Excuse me. It, it depends on on the client. Some clients want to stand right behind you, over your shoulder, watch everything you do, and we have no problems. That some clients want to go on a step by step, layer by layer, uh, and they have. When they have a, a, a module or a, a system running, they don't want to interfere with it. Uh, some want an all-out barrage attack. Our, our ethical hackers appreciate and seem to like that one the most. But regardless of, uh, of whatever, the, whatever the method that we use, we, we want to make sure it's what our client wants. It's what our client needs. And, and that's, that's in as much as determining whether they're worth working for as determining the method and process that you're going to work with them. And then we sit down and, and we, we discuss uh, some things with them regarding uh, our tools that we use. Um, you know, I, I, I did speak to the lawyer about, about what, what it is that we can say and what he can't say. Uh, anything that's public, we can talk about. And very humorously, he said to me, if you're in a position, Steve, where you're going to sound stupid like you don't know something versus saying and divulging the company secret just sounds stupid. That's the plea, plea to ignorance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I said, okay. So I, uh, uh, but I did find a website that has a list of tools that are on it that is public information that we can talk about. How about ah. that? And, and so they have all these uh, various tools that are, are used. Uh, some have a free, some have a cost. And 
um, to answer one of your questions about how to get into it, you know, familiarizing yourselves with these tools are a great way. There are actually sites where you can go to and use these tools to attack networks which are set up intentionally for you to go and learn. And so you're, you are hacking, but you're doing it in an ethical fashion. And, and oh. that's something that we're going to talk about. I, I really like that. That's that's a nice, clean way to do it um, and try <laughs> I, I mean, when, when you're dealing with this kind of stuff and you have ethics, it, it rubs you the wrong way to even tinker with some of this stuff because you know it's like, this you shouldn't be doing it, but, you know, it, it's kind of knowing how to protect yourself at the same time. It's learning a, a martial art. You're not going to be using it to attack somebody. It's using it for protection. You're, you're building out your capability just in case. The best way to avoid war is to be prepared for war. Yes. Yeah, and that's, uh, that, I think that's, that's really it. And as long as we uh, maintain or have the tools um, and the society there to help uh, ensure ethics are, are part of the whole program, then society can continue to, you know, flourish, I guess. If we don't have the ethics, then everything goes to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly. Uh, Javon, what's your take on this? Um, yeah, uh, bad guys have a lot of different toolings, and the good guys have to make sure that they have uh, a decent amount of toolings to help protect themselves. Yeah, I, when you're dealing it from the from the protective side, um, are, are are you do you use the same tools that the hackers are using, or are you looking at how those tools perform their function? A great question, and it really goes back to who you have to really understand your threat actor. Who is it that's who is it that's going to be attacking you? So it could be someone that's not that sophisticated as a script kitty, and they'd be using a plug-and-play sort of tools that they just click on a button, point it to a site, um, or it might be very sophisticated, uh, like an organized crime. They might have much, much better tooling at higher cost, and they might be building some in-house tooling as well. Yeah, you've so, got actors that, that you, you from your... I, I like how you started off with the script kitties you know, or dealing with downloadable free tools and moving it all the way up to you know um, professional um, criminals. And I think to even take it further, you're dealing with state-sponsored um, enterprises. Absolutely. Um, and if, you, if your threat actor is a state-sponsored uh, actor your security will ha definitely have to be very, very strong. And you'd have to make sure that the people that you employ have that level of abilities as well. Right. So it's, an, it's a combination of ability and ethics and, you know, being able to marry the two together. Um, Absolutely. This is incredibly interesting, and I think we're going to dive into a bit more of the defensive um, side of things in our return after this this short commercial break. So I want to thank Stephen and Jivan for uh, helping explore this uh, very uh, complex issue. Um, we'll be back in just a short break with uh, the art of software and ethics.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacy at lacytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey from Lacey Technology. We're talking today with Jivan Sani, as well as Stephen uh, Bryant, from uh, a, a head of operations at Canadian Ethical Hackers. Uh, we're going to continue on our conversation on ethics with Jivan and talk about uh, the defensive programming aspect. Um, we Before the break, we talked uh, some about the tools um, that hackers use um, the various types of hackers. So we've, you know, white hat is a large spectrum, uh, or uh, black hats, sorry, uh, are a wide spectrum of um, types of bad actor hackers. Um, we've got the script kitties, so you're dealing with very uh, low-level, entry-level type of hackers who are, you know, new to the scene and really copying or using other people's work. Um, yeah, that's the, the crux of it. Uh, versus people that are more professional at it and developing their own exploits. And then, of course, we've got state-sponsored uh, actors that um, have a large, uh, almost infinite supply of cash to uh, apply to the problem of breaking into business systems and infrastructure. Um, so let's get into the conversation of uh, defensive programming. Um, Jivan, you're involved in helping... Um, developers and developer teams build and design their applications with this security aspect 
uh, in mind from the get-go. Uh, how do you approach uh, different attack vectors, and at what point in the development uh, process do you actually get involved? Uh, great question. So it, it really depends on how your organization is set up. Um, at my current uh, place of employment, we like to be heavily involved at the very, very early stages. So um, once the product manager and the development teams understand what they are building um, and the development teams have a design in place, maybe it's 90 95% uh, thought out of, we like to be um, engaged at that point. So if uh, we'll, we'll go over the architectural design, we'll make suggestions, and we won't be involved at that point because it's really cheap to change the design at that point rather than employing us towards when they finish uh, coding and they're looking to launch. At that point, uh, if we were to suggest changes, the company might have uh, committed to some deadlines with clients or um, the changes themselves uh, might require significant architectural changes which would cost the company a lot more time and money in order to fix those uh, fundamental issues. Yeah, it kind of flies in the face of um, the doctrine that uh, Facebook was uh, exposing or espousing, um, and that was run hard, break things, or something to that effect. Move fast, break things, Um, which Uh, is (laughs) fine enough, um, but when you're... uh, breaking other people's things and you're putting their things at risk, uh, that's where you've, I, I think they cross an ethical line, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, because that, that, they... Sorry, go ahead, Jivan. That's a, that's a great point that you make. Um, and culturally, I like to work with developers to make them really understand what we're doing. So our systems may contain, say, if you're building software that contains PII or health information, make your developers know. Say, hey, if this information gets leaked, imagine if uh, if it was some of your family members and their medications or their health information on the Internet, how would that make you feel? So yes. really letting the developers know what the worst-case scenario is that's at a personal level, and, and you can also talk about it at the business level. If if there were, if a security breach were to occur, what would happen to the company? The regulators may decide to come in and have a closer look. Your clients will leave you. Um, the, the worst case scenario, the company may have to fold because there's a lot of lawsuits happening against the organization. Right. So that, that's target. yeah, exactly, and that, that's really the you know I I. I Think of that as a stick approach. You know, it's the fear of of doing something bad rather than the the drive of making sure you're doing something good. And I think you, you've actually got both mixed in there together. Um, you know, when you're talking about uh, talking to developers and making them reflect on this information and what it, what how would you feel if this information was compromised and it was your, your grandmother whose medications were exposed and she was now being phoned by hackers in, in uh, Ser- Serbia trying to get her to buy prescriptions. You know, it's like... It, it's, it. Yeah. 
How about yeah, telling everybody about your rash? I mean, there's yeah. a series of of, of right. extortionary measures used when one has most personal and private details, and that's why the the great responsibility comes. Letting your clients know that there's a problem when there's a problem goes a significant way. Uh, you know, Target shot themselves in the foot because everybody found out from a blog. Uh, you know, you don't want to find out your your spouse is cheating from the neighbor's kid, uh, telling you because everyone in town's talking about it. it you know, you it, it, when you find out right from the source, right at the point of that there's a problem, there's a confidence level that can be assured. There's an issue. There's a mistake. When you try to hide it, any integrity you have is gone. Yeah, and that that sort of drops all your uh, the, all your perceived um, ethics or you know how others view you. So you know the, the that's the, the the damage is done kind of effect that's that Facebook is facing, and oh. when we're building software, you know we need to have not only that reflective moment um, at the developers uh, at each step, but also um, you know. Jivan, when you're looking at at these things, you 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 must be needing to draw conclusions as well, because uh, from what I see or what I view is sometimes when you're dealing with software, you're you're dealing with modules at a very um, a finite level, a very limited amount of functionality. So they're they they don't seem to have security issues on themselves. But in the larger context, they, they, they could present an attack vector. How, how do you... That's a great, great point. And that's something that I tried drilling into our developers as well. We're, we've moved from a monolithic uh, software approach to microservices. Yes. Where you, where you have many, many teams working on different aspects of your application. And um, one team could be doing something great, but they might be trusting too much of your other internal team that might not be doing things just as well as them. So um, one team will allow uh, attack vector, will be open to attack vector, and the other person, assuming that the information in the database is good, will be uh, susceptible to, say, a cross-site scripting attack. Right, and, so, and that that yeah. that's the that's really tricky to to protect against. How do you how do you one find identify and test against that? Uh, great question. So, um, most security teams are I would like to say very slim and lean. So you have to employ tools to help you find those sort of vulnerabilities. Um, they are multiple different sorts of tools. The classes of tools are either static analysis, dynamic analysis. You can have perimeter scanning tools. But the most effective one that, I've, uh, that we have is actual manual, manual testing. So um, we have a bug bounty program where individuals partake in it. They look for security vulnerabilities. And when they do find it, they report it into us for a reward. Oh, okay. And, yeah, it's... Fantastic. We've found so many vulnerabilities with respect to that. And human ingenuity has no bounds, whereas tooling does have bounds. So uh, we find much more sophisticated attacks, much higher criticality, 
with employing uh, um, security researchers to do that. You know, I th- I think that's a really incredibly good point because the tools are, of course, pieces of software <laughs> written by somebody who's figured out an attack vector or an approach to attacking and, and created the tools so that you could do that. Um, so they've done all the all the hard work, all the hard thinking, all the creative um, thinking, um, whereas your approach is to actually take a step back and do that hard creative thinking or at least get your, your – encourage um, through a, a bounty program uh, the smart people within your, your, your realm to go ahead and try and find these holes. That's very, very bright. Absolutely. Um, the bug bounty uh, phenomenon is getting bigger. Um, it is. It is a. It's definitely a means of uh, finding vulnerabilities in your system. But, but you, you, that's that last step. That's that step that you've already pushed out your changes and you found it at that point. And right. as as architects, we we want to find it a lot earlier at the design phase. So. Spending more time, more money on the design phase will will get you better results in the long term. Yeah, and you know, if we talk about the design phase, um, when you're looking at attack vectors, do you uh, spend time at the database level as well and look how how the data structures are set up, what's what the data types are, um, what's encrypted, what's binary, what's um, the sensitivity of the data? Absolutely. Um, uh, it really depends uh, on a case-by-case basis. You, what you would do is you employ a, um, you do threat modeling on your design. Um, and if, if you're touching the DB and there's a trust boundary between your application and the database, you do want to look at the various uh, impacts that you may have with certain attacks. Um, and you also want to design for your threat actors. If, if you are really worried that uh, you have a, um, of, of insider uh, splurging information, mm. you do want to encrypt the database and make sure that even that your database administrators don't have access to that information. Right. Yeah, that's going to be – that's yeah. another layer of that as well to talk about how you can get uh, um, attacked from within. Uh, we're going to take a, another um, quick break. So, sorry, Steve, we're going to take a break. We'll come right back with you. Sure, sounds great. Okay, sorry about that, Guy. Uh, we're just, we just have a, a quick break that we need to jump into. Uh, we'll be right back uh, with the Art of Software. We'll uh, touch on Steve's comments uh, related to the, uh, the attacking and protecting uh, from within. Uh, the very interesting side of things. Um, so thanks very much, Stephen. Uh, thanks for holding off. Uh, we'll be right back with The Art of Software. And uh, I'm Martin Lacey. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. 
The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In this fast-paced, technologically driven world of business, the stress can be crushing. It's exhausting business leaders and burning out good employees. It is not enough to work from the top down. We must now learn to work from the inside out. Listen to Innovative Mindful Solutions with Terry Geller. We will discuss ways to transform roadblocking emotions using mindful-based tools you can incorporate into your business and your life right now. Don't stress. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America business channel moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes there is always something going on many times nobody else knows exactly what you're going through if you are experiencing pain or loss even something unexplained that is missing in your life you'll want to tune into go for it with host joe hausman joe and her guests will show you laughter and love Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacy at lacytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm talking today with Jivan. Uh, Sani and uh, Stephen Bryant, we're talking about ethics in software and how that really manifests itself, where ethics plays a part, um, and how really ethics wraps up into security, wraps up into quality, quality of code, quality of, of, of the application environment. So the, the infrastructure, the, uh, how well you're trained, um, the ethics of the business that you're running in, the ethics and uh, of the people that are designing the systems. And hopefully you've got a, a strong group there that uh, have, have lots of deep opinions on ethics that help you know, bring the, the standards up. Um, so we're talking about how businesses approach ethics from the inside as well. Um, before we went to break, we were starting to touch on uh, how systems get um, compromised. And, you know, when you're talking about securing or looking at uh, when you're building an application, if there's a, a way that it can be compromised from inside um, or how you protect the database itself, uh, there, there are always concerns uh, of that nature when you're building a system. And, you know, some of them get addressed better than others. Stephen, before we went to break, you, you had something that you wanted to share. Um, I do. I, I definitely want to agree with the point made earlier. Uh, it was excellent about stitch in time saves nine. And if you, if you set something up now with respect to security, you're going to save yourself a lot of grief and downtime and possibly avoid the end of your business, as Stephen had mentioned. Um, I wish I could demonstrate uh, the frustration and the look on clients' faces when you tell them that we're going to engage in a process where we're going to help try and protect them 
in the cybersecurity level, and we're going to uh, go through great expenditure of resource and time and effort. And in the end, it's most likely that one of your employees is going to do you in from the inside. <laughs> Just the look on their faces. It's, it's, it's such a look of frustration. There's no way to alleviate it. It's such that I've found. But just the the look of, what did you just say? And it is such the case, and it is so true that it will be someone from within, for personal gain, will breach your system. So it is definitely something that has to be thought of when uh, when we're doing penetration testing, and like Jeevan had said earlier, when they're developing the software. It's always a, it's a, it's a constant in the back of your mind factor that is, is a lot more prevalent then you may have alluded to earlier, it might happen. Uh, there's a good likelihood that it will happen. And, Jeevan, do you agree with that? Uh, I very much agree with that. Um, you do have to consider insiders as a potential threat. and Or you can think of it a, a slightly different way. Um, it's always good to have a breach-first mentality. Always think that there is already an adversary in your systems and building out the systems uh, to be more secure with respect to that. So either an insider or if you're already breached, making sure that you have the appropriate layers of defense that would uh, make it much more difficult for those uh, threat actors to pivot. You know what? I I think uh, with the advent of cloud computing and things moving um, to this distributed cloud environment, that that's kind of bringing the the whole thing uh, home, in that when you build and think about applications that are running on the cloud, you're they're running off prem, off premises, uh, so you don't have that that perceived um, uh, feeling that oh well at least my my network is going to be secured so i don't have to be thinking so much about security it it really pushes that 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 um need for addressing security and not leaving it for someone else right to the developer of the component knowing that that component it could be exposed and is at risk is not so it, it is a way of um making you know, developers think that their little piece of code is really vulnerable. And so, Jivan, yeah. So, Jivan, when are you having to uh, train uh, developers any different when you're talking about cloud deployment? Um, uh, not not so much to the developers, but we do talk to our infrastructure group uh, discussing various methods of uh, employing security. So going into the clouds definitely has its detriments, but it also has its uh, um, pros as well. Like uh, you're you're able to use, um, if you're in AWS or Azure or GCP, you're able to use some of their managed services to help um, help you more with your security posture. There's a lot of talk about going to serverless architecture where now you don't even have to manage the uh, virtual machines yourself. You let Amazon deal with it. So you don't have to worry about the patching or um, the up, like keeping them alive, that sort of stuff. So it, there, it, there's a definitely a shift on, on how you perceive security in general. Yeah, it's, it, it, to me, with those two things, they seem to be at, at odds. You know, with what you're saying there, it's the, you're 
you're absolving the developer of the need to um, be really thoughtful in terms of security because as you go to the cloud, they've got the infrastructure and the services to support and do all those kind of things. Um, so I, I'm not too sure um, I, uh, how that will pan out. Um, you know, because code's got to be able to move around within Azure or to another environment. So it's it's I, I think it's kind of like um, the old uh, business rules that we've had to put in place within applications. We do it at multiple layers. We do it at the front end, uh, making sure the bad data doesn't get in. We do it at the middle tier, making sure quality rules, quality data gets into the business and it doesn't. Uh, uh, do anything adverse, and then at the database level. So we're doing it three levels there. So I, I, I think, or Jivan, can you um, uh, shed some light on? Do you think this is just going to be an, an additional layer? Um, it, it's an extension. You, you're correct. You're correct. Like uh, if if you're in AWS and you move to a serverless architecture, you you have to think about security in a different manner. You have to worry more about your um, identity access management uh, policies. You have to ensure that uh, your security groups are set up correctly. Employ a uh, principle of least privilege. In some ways, you're right. increasing your attack surface. In other ways, you're decreasing it as well. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that's really a, a key point is understanding uh, where you're becoming more exposed. Um, throughout the the stack of software and making sure that each layer is, it, it can stand on its own merits. Uh, I agree. Well, this has been an awesome uh, discussion, fellas. Um, as always, we run out of time on these shows. Uh, uh, Stephen, do you do you have anything you'd like to wrap up with? Yeah, I would like to. Uh talk about one thing. It's about the perception of it. If someone listens to this conversation, they may not realize that uh, G-Man and I are, are on the same side. Uh, yeah. We're both pushing for cybersecurity. We're just doing it in different aspects. And to, to, to go back to what you would earlier said, there's some kind of faux pas about being a hacker. But I really wish to dispel this myth. If you have a devious mind out there and you're listening, hacking may be for you. Please contact us. Uh, there are lots of ways we can get you involved. And uh, I was told as a kid, don't think like that. Don't think like that. But you know what? Since I began doing the hacking, I really have been able to think like that. It's just how you act with it that makes the difference. And that's the difference, I think, that would summarizes the ethical standard that we're looking to achieve. So if you, if you think honestly, but you have a devious mind, uh, and if you act honestly, but you have a devious mind, excuse me, then, then you know, ethical hacking is perfect for you. Contact us. Excellent. Okay, I think we're done. Thank you very much, fellows. It's been an awesome conversation today in the art of software. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased we've had this opportunity to discuss it. It's been a fantastic uh, discussion today. Thanks so much, fellows. All right. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you for having us. <laughs> Take care. Uh, this has been the art of software with Martin Lacey. Thank you for listening to The Art of Software. Be sure to join your host, Martin Lacey, again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.